Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews here in the studio today with Dara Coleman. Dara, good to be with you. It's always a pleasure to see you, Heather. Thank you, Dara. We are welcoming two guests with us today. First, Laura Hewitt is Vice President of Workforce and Member Engagement of the South Carolina Hospital Association, and Russell Baxley. He is President and CEO of Beaufort Memorial Hospital. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the SCHA, I doubt there are any, but if you are, it's a private not-for-profit organization founded in 1921 to serve as the collective voice of the state's hospital community. And one of those hospitals is Beaufort Memorial, a not-for-profit hospital founded in 1944, and it is the largest medical facility between Savannah, Georgia, and Charleston, South Carolina. Russell, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. To start us off... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you are. Um, and Russell, I want to start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, one of the greatest challenges hospitals face is the recruitment and retention of quality employees. I mean, I think we're all feeling that, but especially with you guys after COVID-19. And I've heard that your uh, system has some really creative practices and tactics that you've put in place to retain employees, including housing assistance incentives. Could you tell us a little bit about what you have going on there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is uh, one program is of many, uh, and we actually just got done giving a similar presentation about an hour ago to the SCHA about the new and various programs we're, we're putting together for our employees. And uh, this is just one arrow in the quiver, if you will, uh, of what we're doing, but uh, we launched about uh, six months ago, a housing assistance program. And one of the, um, I would say driving factors of, of the great resignation and people moving to different and various locations is housing expense. And you know, Beaufort is, is not unique, but maybe it is in the fact that I think the cost of living and specifically housing is higher in Beaufort than just about anywhere else in the state of South Carolina. I think that if you look at what our for example, rental rates are uh, as to a one bedroom on average is about $1,100 and compare that to the rest of the state, you would probably um, be shocked, right? The Beaufort leads the state in rental rates. And you know, that's not different to when you want to buy a home. The cost to buy a home here in Beaufort is much higher than what you'd find in many other more rural areas of the state. And, uh, and so we're trying to address that. We know that uh, wellness means a lot of things, uh, obviously physical and mental, um, but also financial wellness is very important. And uh, we launched this program where we're actually providing a $10,000 loan to our employees who qualify um, to help buy homes or refinance their homes uh, in Beaufort uh, within one of our hospital and, and, and health campuses. And, uh, and so it's been just received very well uh, by the employees. We've actually closed now on two uh, loans for our employees who have, who have bought their first homes here. Uh, and they could not be more grateful in terms of, of moving from, from renters to, to owners. Uh, if you will. And, uh, and so we've, we've earmarked about uh, a quarter of a million for this program, uh, partnered with uh, Community Works, a nonprofit out of uh, Greenville, South Carolina, that uh, you know, has experience in this. And so, you know, I heard a presentation of theirs probably eight months ago. Uh, I said, you know, that's something we need to be doing as an organization. That's something we need to be doing for our staff. Uh, and called them, and, and uh, it was a pretty easy and straightforward process to partner with them, set aside some money, and say, you know, put this program together for our staff, and they've just been a phenomenal organization to work with. That's wonderful. Um, speaking of organizational support, Laura, how can the SCHA 
support your member hospitals in retaining and recruiting quality employees when you have things like burnout escalated by COVID, but you also have other concerns such as the recent criminal prosecution of the nurse in Tennessee for a medication error, which is certainly something that's unprecedented, but it adds to the workplace stressors of healthcare providers who are desperately needed. What, what can you do as an organization to help abate some of these concerns? Well, one of the um, best things that I think we do is we learn from people like Russell. Um, he, he's already mentioned that just earlier today, he, um, he shared what he's done and his models with other hospitals around the state. So I think we sit in a unique position in that we can hear what other hospitals are trying and we, and we, so we know what works and what doesn't work. And we can kind of share that learning and share it out with other hospitals around the state. So I think that's, um, that's valuable. So people aren't having to recreate things over and over and over again, or, or um, try things in their own, not on an island, but we can kind of convene and connect them with others in a similar space. Um, And, you know, we've always done lots of things in the, in the work of healthcare, the healthcare pipeline. So we've always done a lot of work um, with like the health science programs at the high schools and with the health occupations, students of America, with the technical colleges and such. Um, but one thing that we've learned and that we're going to be doing differently going forward is that particularly those hosts of students and the health science students, they already have an affinity towards healthcare because they've selected that clear career cluster. They're going that route. But one of my things is um, how do we get to the other students that don't have access to health science, that, that, don't, that aren't in a host of class? I mean, who, who's out there talking to those um, students about careers in healthcare? I mean, it might not be, there, there's probably no one unless they may have a family member. So how do we do a better job of getting out beyond that and um, developing, you know, Russell's already talked a little bit about partnerships, but developing new partnerships with other people that can help us get into those communities um, because from an equity standpoint, I think that's really important that students all around the state know about all their career options in healthcare. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I think, there are a couple of things that I think we can do, but I also think, um, and hopefully Russell will talk a little bit more about this. We, I would, I like to help the hospitals figure out how they develop their own workforce. I mean, um, as we've seen, it's not just hospitals that are struggling with staffing right now. I mean, at the college level, they're struggling with it as well. They struggle with funding. So sometimes their ability to expand programs to the extent that people like Russell need is a little bit, um, is is inhibited to some degree. So people like Russell have figured, taken the ball in their court and said, um, well, if, if they can't help meet all my needs, then what can I do to develop my own? And so helping them figure out how do you develop your own internal workforce how, by partnering with other people, whether it's an apprenticeship or some of the groups that he's working with. Um, so, and, and building an ongoing pipeline. So as you work with your, to look in your population and help them figure out how do you help them grow professionally, then how do you backfill and be reaching down into the middle school, high school populations um, to continue to bring in your pipeline? There's lots of other things that I can mention, and we'll probably get to it as we go through, but um, I don't want to steal all of Russell's time because he's the one that has the really great ideas. So um, I'll, I'll kick it back to you, Dara. Those, those are great ideas. When you talk about workforce availability, and we've talked, I think, Russell, you mentioned maybe the great resignation. What about mental health issues in your industry? What are they doing right now to impact? How's that impacting both licensed and unlicensed personnel, or is it? Well, I, I would I would say um, mental health and wellness doesn't discriminate, right? I, I think that no matter what 
sector you work in in healthcare, and we sometimes forget that uh, it takes a lot to make hospitals and health systems go from the hospitality side of things, to the business office, uh, to support service diagnostics, as well as, as direct patient caregivers, right? You know, we all over the last two years experienced COVID in our own in different ways, but um, nonetheless, it was stressful for all and uh, changed us, I think, fundamentally for uh, for years to come. And, and so, you know, it is incumbent upon hospitals and health systems to, to help employees deal and cope with the last two years. And I think specifically at Buford Memorial, we've We've launched a few new programs uh, in the last recent year, um, you know, directly looking at, you know, employee wellness and mental health. You know, so we talked about the financial wellness and, you know, we've done things around physical wellness, but we're also looking at mental wellness. And so specifically, you know, we have launched two programs, uh, Swartz Rounds, uh, which is which is really kind of a, uh, you know, group counseling led by peers, right? We have um, uh, the sports group has done a train the trainer and you have these leaders that bring, bring the groups together. It's kind of like stress first aid and it's different sessions and different topics. And the first session was, you know, tell us about a memorable patient. What is, what is one patient that you remember more than any others? And it's people sharing stories, good or bad, you know, light or heavy, right? It's, it's talking about that. And, and that's important to talk about because in healthcare, you know, we, we've always said this, I think COVID only magnified it, but you, you, you work in a profession that is, you know, one of extreme highs and extreme lows, right? You know, one day you're saving somebody's life, the next day you're doing everything you can, and yet you just can't seem to, to achieve your end goal, right? And that was especially true during COVID, um, during the Delta wave. And, and so that's what the, the Swartz rounding is about, is about talking through that and talking about it with your peers and letting some of that out and go, and that's important. Um, if you're not into group group uh, therapy, if you will, uh, we've launched a, a, a kind of a self-directed app called uh, MeQ or MeQuilibrium. And uh, and what that is, is it allows you to kind of have that same sort of opportunity to um, to work through, I think, some of, you know, what challenges you're facing, but on your own time and the comfort of your own home or, in, you know, in the privacy of your own uh, where you feel comfortable. And so what that does is the app first starts off with taking kind of a, a baseline through a survey. And then once you have that baseline, it kind of directs you to exercises and uh, uh, podcasts and articles and journals. And then it, it starts helping you work through someone where maybe you, you're falling a little short uh, relative to the peer group that's in the, uh, into the, in the app. Uh, and then you take that survey again. You say, have I made an improvement? Do I feel better? You know, am I, am I working through some of these things? And so it's important that we offer these uh, as alternatives to just your traditional EAP program because you know, all people are different. Uh, not there's not one size fits all, and so you know, offering you know this as as different alternatives is important to us uh, for recruitment retention and just really our, the health of our workforce. And just to add to what um, Russell's talk, what he's talking about is establishing a culture that supports the overall the holistic view of the employee, not just your needs for somebody to provide patient care, but their needs as a person and as an individual. And I think. That is the one the one thing that I'm really excited about coming out of COVID that we could do differently than perhaps hospitals have done in the past. And that is from the front end, from the time that you recruit somebody and you bring them, you onboard them into your organization. Can we do a better job of establishing a culture that looks at the employee that way? And that from the front end says, when you come to work for us, we'll give you these opportunities to develop yourself professionally. And these are all the tools that we're going to um, provide you to help you do that. And then if you need addition, if you are stressed, then we have resources for you to do that. We have classes for you. We have 
all these things that are accessible to you, all these resources that are accessible to you, rather than waiting until somebody is broken or to the, at the point of burnout, where then you just refer them to the EAP, which I think is the old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I think we're on the front end going to be establish, reestablishing a culture that is much more supportive of employees going forward and recognizing that we all have needs beyond just your work life. Um, and, and they're going to be, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Like Russell said, I mean, the work of healthcare is hard. It's meaningful work, but it's hard. Um, and so I'm really excited and really hopeful that we can change the culture a little bit and have a much more supportive culture that embraces kind of the whole person. Well, you know, Laura, I think it's interesting that you use that word culture because Russell, I want to ask you about this very diverse culture um, that your system serves because Beaufort is posited in a really neat place. You're the largest center in between Savannah and Charleston, which is serving a very diverse um, demographic. What does that mean to you? I mean, beyond just the delivery of clinical services, what does that mean to Beaufort um, Memorial in terms of how you serve such a diverse um, community from a cultural perspective? Sure. No, I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of our slogans is committed to you, committed to community. And, you know, we, we think we're intrinsic uh, to this community and, and the community intrinsic to us and what we do. And so, you know, we, we are 1800 employees strong and, you know, those employees represent the community as well. And so, you know, we take what we learn both inside and outside the four walls of the hospital um, in terms of how we serve our employees, how we serve our community and say, you know, how can we be different? How can we how can we grow? How can we meet the needs of the community? Um, and to your point, we do have a very diverse community. I mean, we have um, this, you know, the, well, the second largest uh, training facility for the Marines here on Paris Island. So mm-hmm. you have a very strong military community. You, you have the, um, you know, the, the Gola community here um, that we work to serve and work with our FQHCs and everything else as, as a different patient population. And you have a whole community of, of all the uh, transplants from the, the Northeast and, and from the Midwest who are the retirees that love to live in the low country in Buford in particular. Uh, and so it is interesting to, uh, to serve each of those communities in different and various ways and, uh, and, and but very rewarding at the same time um, because we do have a lot of programs um, as a nonprofit that, that reaches out into the communities and to the barrier islands, um, whether it's through um, uh, food and security programs that we have going right now, or our Chipmobile, where we have a mobile wellness unit that go to community centers and churches, um, or working with um, uh, working with some of the schools in and around uh, virtual health in, in some of the schools. Uh, these are all of the things that we we provide and, and partner with in this community because we are a part of the community. I would love it if we had a more diverse, you know, uh, service based. Russell, I think that might be a challenge. Some could see, view that as a challenge, but I think that that makes your job a lot more interesting. And right? fun. And, yeah, right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Laura, hospital growth. What are you seeing in the state? How are hospitals responding? Well, I think one of the areas of growth is exactly what Russell just said, and that's um, the focus on community health and health equity and, and really trying to address disparities. Because I think once you look at the data, there are definitely pockets of the patient population that are um to some degree, they are, are disproportionately affected by, by poverty or lack of um, 
fresh food or lack of places for physical activity or whatever the case might be, there's socio-demographic factors that are um, in play there. And I think hospitals have figured out how to look at the data differently, how to stratify the data a little bit differently and begin to help address and bring individual interventions to those patient populations to really help them begin to um, see health improvements and, and health outcomes. So I, I do think community health and focus on equity is, is a big thing. Um, we're also seeing growth in behavioral health just because the state has just tremendous unmet needs as far as behavioral health goes. Um, and so we're seeing hospitals trying to figure out how they can um, develop their own behavioral health service lines. I mean, Russell's got, they have an eight, what, what is it, 1718 bed unit there, but other hospitals are developing um, their skill sets and their ability to be able to provide care for those patient populations. And in fact, in the Charleston area, there's, you know, there's going to be a large freestanding behavioral health facility that's going there. Um, so that would be another. The other, um, we're, we've seen a lot over the past couple of years, a lot of growth in um, post-acute rehab, um, rehab hospitals, sports medicine service lines, those types of things. You're seeing a lot more of hospitals partnering like the school districts to go in and do um, this athletic training programs there. And again, provide a lot of sports medicine. So I'd add that to the mix. Um, but then also I would say just, there's just a general growth of new hospitals. And, and particularly if you look like in the Horry County area, um, we're, you know, we're not gonna talk about CON on this, but you know, um, there's several CON approved facilities going down there because of the tremendous need for, for services because of their patient population there, which is a largely retirement um, aged population. But to bring this back around to, you know, a workforce conversation, if they're going to be building all these new hospitals there and your population that you're serving is 65 plus because they're all retired folks, then where are you going to get people to be able to work in those hospitals? Um, so that that would be like off the top of my head and, and you know, looking at 30,000 foot view around the state, I would think I would see those as the areas of growth that we're seeing the most around South Carolina. Well, Laura, you know, it always makes my heart happy whenever you mention God's country, you know, where I come from in every county. So I appreciate that. That is an area that is uh, hot for growth. But Russell, I'm curious as to how um, Beaufort Memorial is specifically responding to the growth that you're seeing um, in your area. You know, what do you predict as your growth response and how do you see things like technology. Earlier, you alluded to the role of telehealth um, as one of the tools that you're using to partner with schools in the area. What are some of the specific um, things that you see being um, useful for your hospital? Sure, no, I mean, we, you know, a couple of years ago, we came up with this, this strategy, this growth model, especially directed a little bit towards primary care, a growth of a growth, uh, I'm sorry, breaks, clicks, and people. Right. And so you got to grow bricks and mortar. You got to grow clicks, i.e. telehealth. But you also got to have people to staff it. Right. Whether behind the camera or you're in your facilities. And so, you know, we've been very aggressive in expanding uh, both our specialty and primary care services. Uh, and we'll continue to do so. I mean, I think in the recent last three years, we started a urgent care network and open an urgent care each year. Um, now three serving the Beaufort County area. Uh, we started. Uh, Three years ago as well, a telemedicine model with Publix. We have a telemedicine kiosk in all the Publix grocery stores in Beaufort County, uh, located next to their pharmacies and provide, you know, uh, low acuity urgent care visits via the telemedicine model uh, at those kiosks um, and just continue to recruit primary care uh, to serve the community. I mean, we can't, um, at least here in Beaufort, I mean, I know primary care is an issue everywhere, but 
you know, we can't get them here fast enough. I mean, we just started two brand new primary care providers and they are already booked out six to eight months, um, wow. which is the, which is your traditional waiting time as a new resident to Beaufort. Um, that is your traditional waiting time to get a new patient appointment if you move here with a, with a provider. Uh, and it just, um, you know, the, the, the growth in the Bluffton, Okatee, Beaufort, Hardyville area is just exponential. Um, and specialty wise, you know, we've built several uh, buildings here in the most recent uh, two years, uh, most recently our Okatee Medical Pavilion, um, and partnered with MUSC to do that, to build a cancer center, imaging center, uh, ortho, uh, neurology, pulmonology, cardiology, uh, breast surgery, general surgery, vascular surgery. I mean, we offer therapy, all those services there uh, at that facility in the Bluffton market and, uh, and then trying to, to build a few other facilities, but uh, uh, we have to wait a little bit longer on those because we are working through the CON process. Uh-huh. Speaking of CON, I'm going to end us on legislative topic, but I have enjoyed this top. I mean, this whole podcast has been about innovation, right? Absolutely. You know, not just in technology, but just in response. Um, but legislative issues, Laura, uh, what are the kind of the key topics right now for healthcare in the state legislatively? Russell mentioned CON. Clearly, that's one that will be revisited again next year, most likely. Yeah, um, that would be number one, but we'll save that conversation for your, <laughs> some, your, your other additions. But definitely, certificate of need is on every top of everybody's mind right now. Um, but because of where things sit with that, hopefully we can transition um, from that and we can start having conversations about some, some other issues, workforce being one of those. And um, that is how do we work with the state to get them to invest in the rebuilding of the healthcare workforce, um, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, we, we have been through a lot over the last two years. So how can we partner with them and partner with academic institutions in, in, in new and different ways going forward to um, expand programs to the extent that we need to, to be able to meet the needs just the now needs, not to mention the growth needs, as Russell's talked about um, the massive growth in his area. We've talked about the massive growth in Horry County. Um, and then how can we um, how can we create the regulatory flexibilities to allow um, hospitals to deploy their their staff in the most um, in the most flexible ways? Um, you know, you, you need people to be able to work at the, the top of their um, scope. And so how do you how can we embrace that and how can we support that from a legislative perspective. Um, so those would be two. And then behavioral health is always going to be on the list as well. Um, we are hoping to see some, some um, expansion of service provision related to behavioral health and, a, and an opportunity there for private providers to be able to come in and, and do some more things with behavioral health and, and have reimbursement mechanisms there to be able to support their growth as they try to build out services. Um, and there's still a couple of um, COVID-related vaccine bills or other COVID-related bills that are out there that you know, um, I hopefully won't um, progress in this legislative session, but they are, are out there on the radar screen. Um, I think that would be it. Russell, anything else that you would throw in the mix as far as legislative concerns? Those would be the big ones off the top of my head. No, I, I think you covered it, and, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Those are some hot topics, a full Laura. Plate, that's for sure. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot. Uh, Laura Hewitt, Russell Baxley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the good work that you're doing for our state, um, both in your area of service and then beyond across South Carolina. 
wish you and your teams the best. On behalf of Dara Coleman, everyone who joined us today, we hope you enjoyed this conversation, learned a little bit, got encouraged after a couple of years of COVID. It's good to hear good news. We look forward to seeing you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences podcast.